programa. Hello and welcome to Dynamite Neddy. It's the Retro Games Podcast where a couple of OW pals get together and talk about a couple of OW games. The voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Joining me as always, we have Mr Andy Mack. Kirichiwa. And Mr Mick McCormick. Oh, and Rusty. Hi. Ruff, ruff. He's sleeping. He's dreaming about something. Dreaming about, like, I don't know, chasing a rabbit or something. Hey, dog's fucking. <laughs> hopefully, know that. <laughs> he's, he's dominance in the pet hierarchy. He's dreaming about fighting the Normans, obviously, Mick, because you've been just knee deep in uh, complex Saxon uh, political strategy games. Celtic Britain. Do you think the dogs have like, sleep paralysis demons and shit? And like, lucid dreams and all that? Aye, but it's just like a big black cat. It's kind of haunted. <laughs> I mean, they they, they dream whether or no they have sleep paralysis. I don't know. The rabbit that, dreams. That's why I was saying it because he does he does have dreams and you can see his legs going as if he's running in his dream sometimes. Aye, like um, smudges, he'll twitch and stuff like that, and sort of click and move his face and stuff like that, and I googled that and it was like they're dreaming. I think I think most animals probably daydream. I, there's a there's a disorder you can get. I don't know if animals get it today, but your body makes this chemical so you don't act out your dreams. There's this guy in America, man, that doesn't his brain doesn't make this chemical, so he acts out his dreams when he's sleeping, man. It's fucking mental. Sounds like sleeping. Ah, uh, but aye, but he's like he does karate kicks and shit, and <laughs> but he can't. He's got if his windies bolted shut and that. I don't think it's that uncommon to hear about like that pal that people have that when they're pure steaming. Like they'll walk about like naked or whatever, sleepwalking or like <laughs> try to do a pish in a washing basket and things like that. Do you know what I mean? I've definitely oh, heard of these stories. Like, I've, I've I've encountered that. I, I, I can't even remember who it was, but basically, somebody gets up, walks in your living room, you're on a couch sleeping or whatever, and you just realise that they're just different planet. Aye, they're just going ba 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 ba, and then all of a sudden they're just over in the corner, just having a pish, man. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck is going on here? They just make it look dead normal, like, as if like, this is a this is a convention in this house. Like, just feel stoned and have that push seat. It's weird, man. Perception is a weird thing, isn't it? It is, but um, this is no gain me high hopes for this episode because we've no we've no even had an initial topic to go off on a tangent from. We just started with the tangent. <laughs> that, 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 that might be a new record for Dynamite, Neddy. <laughs> um, Mick, we're going to start with you. Have you been playing anything recently? What have you been up to? So, I've been one playing um, one of the first games that I downloaded for the Steam Deck, because I, I heard it came recommended for it, which was Hades. Oh, I. Um, I downloaded it ages ago. I didn't play it that much, but I've just kind of picked it up again in anger in the past couple of days, and it's been really good. Um, so, Hades is. It's made by Supergiant Games, um, who I, I've, I've basically played and loved all their stuff. Um, Bastion was the first Pyre one. Pyre and Transistor as well, both really good. I think those games that were kind of critically acclaimed, but maybe not massive sellers and like in terms of gameplay they, they had like beautiful art and, and music and story and stuff gameplay was always quite kind of experimental and unusual and people kind of either loved it or hated it but with Hades I think they decided just to go with something a bit more conventional it's like a, one of those roguelite sort of games where on a run it's kind of like an action RPG sort of thing plays Zagreus the son of 
Hades Lord of the Greek Underworld and he's trying to fuck off to, to Olympus and he's got a fight on us wants us to get through it dies a lot but in between you can kind of get new weapons and upgrades and stuff but I think this one's been a massive hit for them you know, which is which is quite good for them because I think they've kind of been the studio's got a lot of talent and they've kind of deserved it I think and it's, yeah, it's a really fun game really good looking game ah, yeah, but I've, I've heard about it um, I mean it was a was it maybe 2021 it was the kind of a lot of people's like game of the year, you know, it was this oh, kind yeah. of darling of the the, game. the indie game scene. I think I've seen screenshots saying that you've got like um, sexy Greek and gods that. and all that, like quite cool reimaginings of them yeah, and all the, this type of thing. Yeah, one of the, because um, like in between each sort of flare of the dungeon, you can get like treasure. Uh, some treasure, but um, a lot of the time you get uh, what's called a boon for one of the, the great gods, like Aphrodite or Zeus or Artemis or something like that, and you can pick three options, like it maybe power up your weapon or your spell or something. But um, yeah, it's been pointed out a lot that like this, the game is kind of like very hornily drawn all of the the great gods and goddesses. It's like with aim to kind of basically make you fancy all of them, no matter what your preference is. Who is your favourite Greek god? Oh, for, for this game or just in the Pantheon in general? Pantheon in general, we're going full heathen. I don't know, actually, man. That's a, that's, that's a good one. Andy? Um, probably... Who was it? I like the one, the daft one that dipped the guy in the in the invincibility stuff, but if I go to D's wee, wee two or something, he's heel. Is this? Is ah, this? He's, he's stupid. He's daft as fuck, man. But I did see a, <laughs> I did see a video, right? It was for the top of Mount Olympus. The video was about like, who the first like, person ever to do an expedition to Mount Olympus must have felt when we went up there and, and just found nothing but snow. And, but there was a, a star image at the top of Mount Olympus and the rock was just like pure the way it was cut or whatever um, eroded it just looked like Zeus man but I do I do like uh, is it Hecate is it Jonah Ark one my favourite is of course Bacchus the god of wine who is often depicted as like a kind of fat bearded man uh, getting drunk <laughs> uh, Dionysus is in the game. I forgot about him. I don't know if he's the same as Bacchus or related, but he's yeah. He, he's got an ability that kind of if, if he attack enemies, it makes him hungover and they kind of move as fast. Do you know what always freaked me out about the Greek god thing? See, like um, doing in Hades is like hell in it. Or it's not like pure hell. It's more like kind of purgatory slash hell. But see that um, in the cartoon, right, with the mad guy with the fire hair. I think he's called Aye. Hades as well. Aye. But yes, James but he's Woods. Got this, um, it's like a river, and the river's made up of damn souls, man. That's ah, fucking spooky for a cartoon. Look, like, that disturbed, that well, disturbed fucking hell out of me, man. I don't think Hades is actually what like, a baddie, really, in their stories necessarily. Is it no? You've got like Zeus. Poseidon and Hades and they're all brothers. Um, I'm not too sure. Is it kind of like the devil in the uh, South Park, where he's no, always completely bad. <laughs> aye. Aye. <laughs> aye. And he just needs to... He needs a wee bit more self-esteem and not let uh, Saddam Hussein take a lend him. In this one, like... Because I, I was always mixed up with that as well. Like, is Hades the name for hell or is Hades the name for the, the god of, of hell? But, like, he, in this one, he is the god of it, Hades. He's the he's the baddie in the game, but I don't think it's because he's he like tortures the dead. It's just because like his son wants to leave and he's not letting him. Ah. Um, but hey, there, there's different layers of hell as well. I know because cause like in this game you have to go through like, three layers, and the third one is the uh, Elysium or the Elysian Fields, and that's like the heaven. I think like that's where 
you would go if you'd been a virtuous when the virtuous dead, whereas you would go further down into either ever sticks or whatever if you're just a bit of a, a nothing and you become one of the souls. Kind of like Inferno, isn't it? Where you've got hell, purgatory, and heaven. A lot of Christian ideas about hell came from the Greek mythology, mythology, as did a lot of the philosophies of Christianity. Uh, Hercules for the PlayStation 1. Bad, no yeah, bad. That's an uh, attack, which was good. So you could charge up this punch. And the animation was pretty good, too. It came out about that time where like, 2D platforming hit like, visually the best it's ever been, and the best it's probably ever been since. I think it was early PlayStation. I remember it um, floating about on the demo discs, which suggests to me it was kind of in a land before the chip. But anyway, well, uh, that sounds like a hearty recommendation for Hades. Uh, Aye, for sure. Andy, have you been messing about with much yourself, or have you just been busy with all the nippers and the, the schoolwork and whatnot? Aye, so I'm, I'm on placement again, which leaves very little time. But what I have done is... Um, I'm at, I thought I'm going to get my Dreamcast up and running again so I went online to some uh, fucking vendor it sent me a cable for my Dreamcast now there was nothing on my cable at all when it came I was like yes first thing I done was load up Sonic Adventure Sonic Adventure 2 was working and got the old Shenmue games on they worked as well and then I tried um, to test the, the copyright function on the Dreamcast by burning off few games, I burnt Cannon Spike and Sky's Arcadia, they worked fine without mm-hmm. even a chip or, or anything the Dreamcast didn't have any copyright protection they wonder why it failed I played my Dreamcast for two days until I took a disc out one time and tried to put a new disc in the fucker isn't needing discs now, it's not even the, the, the disc isn't spinning so what I think it might be is, I think it might just be a hardware fault because I aged the spindles away on the, on the disc tray I can't even get it to go, man, and I'm, I'm devastated. It's my original one that I got with a G4, Safi Camp guy. Oh, I know, he, and, but he, he's, he's very much a, a figure that looms large over our uh, lives in terms of video games. One day we'll find out his actual name. <laughs> no, Andy, this presents a problem, because I remember, you're not that long ago, maybe about ten years ago, you could have probably went on eBay and got a Dreamcast for about 50 sheets. I'm guessing that's not the case anymore. Right, I've looked into this already. Right, CEX is probably your, your... You know what? CEX is all right sometimes, right? Because eBay inflates prices of some things, but CEX will do the same in other things. But Dreamcast has got a three-tier pricing system, it seems. You can get what's called a discounted Dreamcast that comes with one pad or 80 bucks. You can get mm. an unboxed Dreamcast for 95 with a pad, or you can get a boxed Dreamcast for 150 quid. Now, I'm looking at obviously the discounted one or the unboxed one. Now, I'm thinking, discounted, how discounted are we talking here? Are we talking about Maggot Lava and the, and the, the fans? Are we talking about like this and just that spilt over the, the pad? What are we talking? Just how discounted? I think I might just grim and bear it and pay extra 15 quid and get and get an unboxed one. I think for me, for the sounds of that there, I would also go for the middle tier. Aye. That way, they've obviously somebody's looked at it and went, aye, right, okay, this isn't quite council, we'll maybe move it up to 50 50. It's not prop. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll put it in that middle band. Aye. Well, hopefully you get it sorted. Aye. I've been playing through. Pillars of Eternity, 
which is one of these kind of isometric computer role-playing games from Obsidian, who probably hear me talk about them all the time. Made New Vegas, they made Knights of the Old Republic 2, Pentiment that I was playing the other while there. This is just kind of... You might have heard there, I think maybe in like 2014, they sort of made a Kickstarter. Uh, it was very successful. And they, they basically said, look, we're going to make a Baldur's Gate because it's been a while since MD's made a Baldur's Gate, uh, one of these kind of isometric role-playing games. And it was hugely successful and the game was good and all that. And it sort of kicked off a rebirth of this genre. Other things, Numenera, McCormick talked about on an old Neddy yeah. way back in the day. Then you had enhanced editions of all the Baldur's Gate games and stuff. But I have been really gripped by this and I would hesitate to tell you just how many hours I've put into it in the last two weeks. But um, it's a lot. For some reason, this kind of view, these role-playing games where you make these characters and you've got a kind of D&D style battle system, they are just crack cocaine in my mind. <laughs> I played that one a wee bit when it came out. I didn't get super far in it. Um, I think at the time I kind of bounced off the, the real-time pause combat but having heard a, a few more glowing reviews and like I heard um, your man Josh Sawyer doing a, a presentation about it and talking about how um, how the combat worked and that it did kind of make me a bit more interested in revisiting it so I might go back to it one day. I played it back in the day as well a couple of years ago and it was before I was really experienced with these type of games. Yeah. I, I got a wee bit into it because obviously I wanted to like it because I like New Vegas and all these things and I thought the studio was really cool. But I didn't get very far in it either. But I think having played, you know, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, Planescape Torment, the old Fallouts and stuff like that, when you have a kind of base for them, then it's easier to go back to now and get into. So maybe one for you to get a blast in the future. Yeah, I'd for giving it another go. And have you gone your, your kind of favourite sort of uh, sneaky roguey character this time? I've gone for a rogue. I like the... I'll know because I could prattle on about this all day. One thing I particularly liked in character creation, as well as picking your race, you know, you've got your standard fare of humans, elves, dwarves. They added in a few new races that they've made just for Pillars of Eternity. There's these big kind of Goliath guys called Umau or something like that, and... Orleans, who are like wee kind of furry halfling type creatures, and godlikes, who are kind of like tieflings. They've got all these kind of weird godlike abilities where some of them are on fire or ice or whatever. But anyway, as well as picking your race and class, you know, wizard, rogue, fighter, blah, 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 you pick a cultural background for your character, whereby you pick sort of what continent and country they're for, and it'll give you a wee bit about each. And then you also pick like a kind of professional background for them, basically what the life story was up until the beginning of the events of the game. Aye. So I made my guy a political dissident, because as soon as I saw that one, I was like, I'm having that. <laughs> and then somebody asks you a question about it in the tutorial, and you get to expand on that a wee bit. Um, and you could say, for instance, that you fought to implement regime change and then the new regime was even worse. Or I picked one, I picked one that was like I, I had fought in a revolution, but it got it failed and we got fucked up. And that was why I had to leave the country. But <laughs> that's, some that's something that will pop up in fucking random wee dialogue um, from NPCs from time to time when you're talking to them. Even if you've picked something boring like... 
oh, I, I was a joiner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you might have the odd wee extra bit of dialogue you can pick where you're like, oh, I, you, you need to fix the joists on that door. <laughs> so I, so I, very good. Um, so yes, that's been my that's been my life in terms of computer games. I've been sucked right into that. Right. Well, speaking of sort of, this is tenuous. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> speaking of the, the medieval times, although that's on a fantasy continent, we are going to kick off today with the sort of strategy game, Defender of the Crown. I picked this game for McCormick because, I'll give you a wee bit of background, right? Many years ago, Aero was on the brew, and you might remember this when you were a job seeker. They sometimes said, you've been a job seeker for too long, we are going to send you to work experience in the cancer shop or something like that, whereby the DSS or whoever it was, JSA, paid your wages, but you had to go in and work in like a charity shop or something. So he was working in the PDSA in the town, somebody handed in an old Nintendo and Aero was like, can I just buy this, I'll, I'll give you 20 quid for it or whatever. And the, the woman that was his boss was like, no, no, that wouldn't be appropriate. You can buy it if it's still here at the end of your shift or whatever. Fucking rubbish. Like, <laughs> I would have been on the phone to you and say, like, you come in and potentially know me and buy this. I've not seen you in a shop before. Ah, yeah, I'm, you know, it's first time, first time today. I'll have that uh, Nintendo, please. <laughs> Just so, I just care that much about cats and dogs. Aero's, Aero's got one eye on it the whole day. He's pure sweating and that, like clocking people coming to stunning in front of it and stuff. Oh, hello, sir. Might I interest you in an old jacket that a guy died in? Pay no attention to the Nintendo bag. I'm not going to that. That looks always good, that. No, 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 you don't want that. that that's a heap of shit. Um, it, it was actually found that Nintendo gives you cancer if you, if you keep it on too long. <laughs> so what if our Zelda came out on now? Um, so, anyway, it, it gets through the day, it buys a Nintendo, we take it home, we turn it on, we try it out with a game, eventually we've ordered one off eBay or something, fucking Tetris or Mario or something like that, and it's got a common fault whereby it's flickering on and off every 30 seconds, we ordered parts for China. I watched the tutorial. I actually unscrewed the fucker, changed one of these parts, and then we had a... Yeah, I was well proud of myself. Um, again, I it was... Um, it was something a day we... Basically, a part just needed replaced. It was... No, 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 no. It was what reads the cartridge. Oh, aye, they, aye. Is this sort of bit... It sort of looks like teeth, and basically that had just worn over time or whatever, and it was one of the easiest bits to... I didn't need to fuck about with any wiring or anything like that. You could basically just unscrew that and put the new one... This is fucking boring, by the way. Um, so... No, no, no. That's, this, is, uh, this is Dynamite Neddy, man. This is what we talk about. <laughs> it was boring <laughs> to me. So we replaced this part, and there you go. You had a working Nintendo. So basically I spent the next wee while after that just... Anytime browsing eBay and stuff like that, and anytime I saw Nintendo games for cheap, I was just buying them. Do you know what I mean? I reckon I get Defender of the Crown for maybe about four bucks or something like that. I wonder how much they would charge you now. But um, it arrived, and immediately I was like, this is fucking weird. This is something a wee bit different. It gives you, I mean, now that I know all the backstory to it, 
But immediately you go, oh, they're trying to do one of these PC console conversions, which in the, the 80s and early 90s were notoriously a wee bit ropey. Or, you know, at best, just kind of weird. Um, a game that requires like, every key on the keyboard <laughs> and like, somehow you've got to play it with a wee Nest pad. Aye. So, yeah, I eventually grew something of a liking for the game. It's a, a tough one to recommend. I wouldn't go about saying that it's good. But yeah, there you go. That's, that's why McCormick's ended up playing it. It's actually been on the back burner of a potential pick for him for about two years. And there we've only got run to it. So, Mick, how did you get on with Defender of the Crown? Right, so when I first heard that Mick was gaming a game called Defender of the Crown, I was surprised that he would he would game me a, a game where you play as the Orange Order. I didn't <laughs> think that was something that Mick would be into. But, uh, yeah, it turns out to be about another another period in history where a, a kind of foreign agent came and, and took the British Crown. Um, not, not Sir William, um, but an, another William, William the Conqueror. So... Defender of the Crown, um, it came out, um, I have not got a note of when it came out, it came out in the early 80s, um, and it was the first game by a developer called Cinemaware, and Cinemaware's whole kind of gimmick was that they would release games, at least initially, they would release games that were inspired by their favourite genres of cinema, um, so this one is about kind of swashbuckling, Robin Hood type adventure films, and um, was the main inspiration. There's a couple other ones, um, a game called It Came From The Desert, which I think is one of the more well-regarded games, and that's based on like 50s B-movies. Is this the one with the giant um, spiders? Giant ants. Oh, giant ants, um, sorry. They, I, you're kind of cutting about the, the southwest America, and it's been invaded by giant ants, and the, the plot can kind of progress in different ways, depending on like, whether or not you manage to save certain bits for the for the ants. Um, there's another one called SDI, which is set during the Cold War. Um, that one stuck out to me because uh, the main character you play as is a guy called Sloan McCormick. <laughs> maybe an uncle, a great uncle of mine or something. Um, but I, We should also say, um, these might be very familiar to some listeners. They, they made games for the Amiga primarily. The Nintendo yes. version of this is actually something of an obscurity, but these were these were pretty much all on the Amiga. That's what they developed things for, is it? Yeah, they were only active in their first incarnation from like eighty one to ninety one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of once the sixteen bit generation came about, they kind of they I think they were pretty much running out of a cash by that point. But they were quite um, they were quite well known at that time. Not so much now. Although maybe they, they should be because I think that you know that it was quite innovative what they were doing at the time. They were something that you would see like a lot later, like in the kind of PS one, PS two area when when you had these like movie tie in games where you'd kind of try and replicate the feeling of, of being in one of those films by having like lots of different wee different scenes, like you know different different mini games, like you know a car a car chase or a shootout Aye. or something like that. But tie it all together and kind of all they they would all feed back into each other and kind of like become part of a, a larger narrative. So that's kind of what what they're doing with this game. Um so it's set um during the, the Norman Conquest. You've got the, the Anglo Anglo Saxon England and then all of a sudden the Normans invade. Um and you play as one of the one of the Anglo Saxon lords trying to try to take back Britain um, for these invaders. And it's it's kind of it's not fully historical because obviously you get Robin Hood cutting about. Um, it's kind of there's kind of fantastical element to it, but it's it's based on this real period of history. The primary source for Defender of the Crown, rather than any historical text, is a Walter Scott novel uh, called Ivanhoe, 
and one of the right. one of the lords you can play as in this is Wilfred of Ivanhoe. But um, now that you're talking about how they're cinema wear or whatever, and it's based on movies, I would guess more so the 1950s movie uh, Ivanhoe yeah. rather than the actual book itself. Aye, and I think there was a lot of kind of films around about, around about the kind of 50s era, these kind of like heroic sort of swashbuckling films, a lot of films about pirates Aye. and stuff like that. I think a lot of this came uh, formed the kind of DNA of this game. So... You kind of get the impression that this is a strategy game, although I would argue that maybe that's not, that's maybe a bit misleading. The first thing you see is this kind of map of England um, split into various regions or shires or whatever. And Wales. That would put me off right away, man. I'd just fucking. <laughs> no, mate. Which next fucking David Beckham fronts me? I had to struggle, I had to struggle through, to be honest. That was, that was pretty off putting. So you got a couple that have like uh, the shields representing yourself and the other Anglo-Saxon kings who are ostensibly your allies and a couple of mere shields that represent the, the Normans coming in for the south. And then you get the choice of a few different things to do um, in each in each turn. So you can you can buy new troops for your army. You can move your existing army around. And as you do that, you can control territory. If you come into a, an unoccupied territory, and then you just take that and that provides you a mere income each turn. Um, and you can use that income to buy mere soldiers or knights and eventually you get like, siege weapons which can help you take over other castles. You can get into fights with other armies and basically it's just a, num- a numbers game. If your army enters the, an area where another army is or where they have taken some land then you get into a fight. And the only strategy that I could really tell is that the mere soldiers wins. Yeah, um, You get mere soldiers, knights uh, etc. You just overwhelm them with numbers. You get a couple of options, don't you? Like, there's a few things at the bottom of the screen that says, like, vicious attack, flank, and things like that. I, I've i never really found much use for these. It's If you've got yeah. better soldiers, you win. It's not obvious as to what they do. Um, I think they become more useful later in the game when you have a lot of knights or a lot of your catapults or whatever. Like, the, the, the knights are more effective when you do flanking because they can like outmaneuver the enemy and flank them and Aye. stuff like that. But it does if it's just so just you're dealing with as I was at the, most of the game, um, then it, it doesn't really matter. If you're playing this let be and I'm I'm guessing this is probably universal, but the first couple of fights you get into you'll get absolutely annihilated and overwhelmed by the Normans. They're just going to have a shitload more soldiers than you. Um, and then that will completely destroy you. And the thing is that you don't know going into a fight how many soldiers that are in their army kind of have to guess whether or not you're going to win or not. So playing this as a strategy game, that's what that's what absolutely done me in, because I was like, how can I be strategic if I don't fucking know the size of the opposing force here? That's actually, I would say, probably a kind of fault, because you can look at that. There is an option on the map screen that says something like view or view territory or something like that. For and then if you sake. click on that square, it tells you how many soldiers they've got. But yeah, I only found that out playing it like this time or whatever. It's not obvious. Fuck's sake. <laughs> right, okay, well, I'm going to have to talk, tear up all my notes here. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how I thought you were meant to play the game, and this, I guess, this is kind of thematic in a way, right? Because you're facing, in, much like in real history, I was getting completely decimated by the um, by the Normans. It's like... Just, they completely overwhelmed me. I was thinking how this is maybe supposed to work, or the story this is trying to tell, was that you're supposed to outdo them, not really through sheer numbers, but through your kind of guile and heroism. Because the other option you get is to, instead of, like, moving your armies around in a turn, you can call a tournament, and then a tournament, you're, it's like a kind of traditional 
sort of medieval tournament where there's jousting and, and battles and things like that going on. And what you do is you choose a territory that you want to gain, and then the enemy in turn chooses a territory that they want to gain. And then instead of having a, a pitched battle for it, if you've not maybe got enough soldiers to do that, um, you'll instead have a, a, wee, a wee tournament. Um, the first thing you do at the tournament is jousting, um, and that kicks off a wee mini game where you've got to position your, your lance um, towards the, the enemy's shield, and if you get it in the correct position, you knock them off, or otherwise they knock you off. And then when you're off your horses, you're kind of fighting two armoured knights with these uh, morning stars, these kind of the spiky spiky ball on a chain and kind of um, flinging at each other and going dink you never had a, a spiky ball with a chain it's like a mace isn't it morning star if it's got a, a chain on it just reminds me star, of it's just the, the ball on the stick it's a mace like pure gets you when the breaks in William Wallace has just been shunned by all the noblemen and it breaks into one of their houses and just smashes their head in with one <laughs> and it's uh, <laughs> a graphic man see I don't know if this is nonsense, but I'm sure a history teacher told us once that like the a mace was a favoured weapon of like priests and bishops because they they took a vow against spilling blood. And if you hit somebody with a mace, you're not really spilling blood, you're just kinda of causing internal damage. That carries that carries over into a lot of role-playing game rule sets. I think in Dungeons and Dragons, clerics are not allowed to use bladed weapons, but they can use <laughs> maces don't. and clubs and things like that. It's always a root pointer. So you can kind of use this this tournament advantage. mechanic to your advantage. As I say, if you've not got the soldiers that you needed to win a fight, then you can maybe get you can maybe win some territory if you just kind of master these wee mini games. Um, which unfortunately I didn't do. I don't know about you, but like the Jousting mini game was a bit of a. It only gives you a couple of seconds to actually get yourself manoeuvred in position, and you, you, I couldn't really see very well what what my my, my knight was doing at any point. Did you accidentally scud the horse in the napper at any point and then get shamed? I won it once or twice, <laughs> and that has like catastrophic consequences. What? I can't mind what. If you put your lance like too far <laughs> down past the shield, you actually like just, it goes right through the horse's head. That's that a big taboo. That necessary? Well, necessary yeah. game de- a game design decision. Get, you get you get a text update saying that everybody at the tournament was pure shocked and like ashamed. you're ashamed of yourself and you go back to your castle and nobody's there. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> walked out on you because you attacked the horse. Would <laughs> intentionally attack the horse? <laughs> it's an accident. Who'd have thought, man? Eh? The, the kid knowing they like horses. You see what they used to date the horses? Whip them, fucking put things in their mouth and hammer fucking shoes onto them. <laughs> oh, aye, if you accidentally hurt your horse, that's you out, shouldn't. <laughs> I saw that chivalry into it, you know, as this kind of code of, of honour and all that nonsense. But, like, how how did you go on with the, these kind of minigames? Like the, the one when you're off your horse, kind of fighting as well. Like I know there's kind of like a block and you can kind of move your, your thing up and down, but, like, like with the other one, like I just, I wasn't getting enough feedback to know whether or not I was really doing it right. I am pretty mince at the jousting. Tend to steer clear of that. Raiding, I am not bad at. See, the sword fighting minigame, and the key to that is that there's a certain way to kind of stick and move. You stab the enemy as they're walking towards you or walking away from you, and you constantly want to be, like, taking a step back for them, step back for them, stab. Um, There's a... It's hard to explain. There's a kind of muscle memory involved. I can do the sword fighting one. I can do the crossbow game. And I actually, did you get to the point where you got to do a siege on an enemy castle? I never really 
go that far. The one that you're talking about is, is your kind of final option on a turn, I guess. You can choose to raid an enemy castle. Even if you're not in the territory, you can raid it. And then you play this little kind of side-scrolling game where you're kind of fencing. And that one was a bit easier to get my head around. I thought and then you get money, I think. You, you, you do that for money, basically. Um, yeah. You're stealing treasure for the other um, for the other castles. And, yeah, that's just another way to make funds, again, if you're, like, not... You're not in control of the of the battles. And I think later in the game, you were saying, and also read, that you get this mini, mini game, it appears, and it says that oh, one of the enemy kings is... Um, kidnap the princess and you've got to raid the castle and rescue yes. the princess and then if you do that you basically like you, you kind of win over all the other the other lords and yeah. get access to other soldiers and that means you're pretty much guaranteed to win when you save the princess whichever one of the lords is her da then you just get all their territories as well yeah it's a game so changer it's, it's always a saxon and then you always end up getting like four extra pieces of land so it's always good but the the catapult is when you, rather than raid an enemy castle, you want to take one. So you need to sort of do these timed hits to try and break a wall down. Right. And then you can you can also launch flaming balls in to kill many other soldiers and also uh, diseased animal carcasses mm. and do some fucking bio-warfare on them, <laughs> um, which is pretty cool. That does sound pretty good. I wish I'd stuck in for one at least one of those. This is a Dune, a Dune Lords port, isn't it? It's like, this is a, 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 a non-inferior, maybe, but a kind of lesser port to well. his big brother. So the, the Amiga version of this, right, apparently when that came out, it was like looking at the Final Fantasy VII FMVs of the time. Like, the Defender of the Crown was most known for its graphics. People thought the graphics in this was shit hot. No, that's the Amiga version. As McCormick will probably attest here, the Nintendo version isn't that gorgeous. Um, no, it looks more like a Specky game than a, um, than a Nintendo game, really. Um, the Amiga one does does look really good. Um, you, yeah, the, the NES isn't considered a great port. The DOS one is considered a particularly abysmal port. I've not really looked at that. They did have some gameplay tweaks in the Nintendo one, but aye, it's a lot less pretty to look at. Actually, I don't think the music conversion is too bad for like an 8-bit soundtrack. Right. I think it's, it's, it's no bad. Um, I also quite like the... There's a bit of this where it turns into a wee bit of a, a very basic first-person shooter, whereby if your castle gets raided, you have to kill enemies coming over the wall with a crossbow. Yeah, because I wasn't very good at the game, I did get that a few times, because that's your kind of last stand. Well, if you've not got any soldiers garrisoned in your castle and they invade, then it's just game over. But if you do have some, then you play a wee minigame where you're like... You're moving um, your crossbow left to right and up and down and taking, taking down enemies. It's like kind of light gun, kind of crude light gun sort of game. Aye. Um, that was quite fun, um, but the, the stakes are high at that point because usually, well, if you you start off with only one castle, and if if that's your last castle and you lose, it's game over. Well, it's just like a series of mini games then, where you conquer one bit by doing certain maybe a choice of three or four actions, maybe a mixture of them, and then move on to the next one, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Aye, as as I was saying, like it's not it's not super strategic. You might you would get the impression that it's a kind of in-depth strategy game looking at it, but it's more, I would say, a collection of mini-games that kind of just feed into this, like, overall strategy layer. And it's a good idea, but for me, just the mini-games are a bit too thin a wee bit to, like, like a, to hold my attention. A wee bit like a casino game, then, where like, you've got to make your way through a casino, but you've only got a select amount of things to... Uh, same sort of idea. Do you know how I would look at this, right? 
it's less of a strategy game and more like a digital board game. Right. See the way, see the way he actually beat Defender of the Crown? It's to go against your instincts and not do any of the fun stuff. <laughs> don't, don't call tournaments. Don't go raiding. Spend the entire time on the map screen. Try to move into as many empty territories as you can, first of all, to get your income up. Then build an army and spend most of the game moving your army about. You will get random events in the game, as you say. One of them is that a princess has been kidnapped. That's when you, That's when you want to do the mandatory raiding because then you, you can pretty much double your territories. Sometimes enemy lords will call tournaments and you'll have to play them. And then basically it's a matter of no losing. But the way to actually win the game is pretty much spend all of it in the map screen. Don't do any of the cool, fun movie stuff. <laughs> that sounds uh, <laughs> that's a bit disappointing to be honest. Yeah. Right. And like... There's a few th- elements that I kind of w- I would have liked to see, like in terms of strategy. Like I know you can kind of see what armies are in different places. I didn't know that when I wrote this down, but my idea was that if it was more of a like uh, a sort of guerrilla warfare type of thing, where like you try to kind of have to take advantage of where the enemy, like what be where they weren't, like be where that be trying to like hit and run sort of attacks on them. Aye. If you've got less soldiers than them, that could have been quite interesting. Also, if it was maybe more about the kind of the, the diplomacy, where it's like okay, you've got all these, like, Saxon laws that don't really like each other, but if you convince them to, to join together, you know, then you can you can repel the Normans. I suppose there is an element with that with capturing the princess, but that's pretty much just random. Do you know something about this game is that, for whatever reason, it has quietly endured all through the ages, as well as Nintendo ports. Down the line, you get Game Boy Advance ports. You got a you got a remake on the PS2 and Xbox. Um, currently, there is a new version on Android, iOS, Steam, and whatever. Versions of Defender of the Crown have kind of never stopped coming out. There must be something about it. Some, there's something people latch onto. It didn't quite capture me. Um, the the ones that I did want to try was Defender of the Crown 2 and that came out for the like the Amiga's version of the Mega C D. Um it's called the Amiga C D thirty two. And apparently it's Aye. almost an identical game, but it's just kinda of better uh, better music and that and the mini games are a bit more fleshed out, so like your your combat may be like something's maybe slightly closer to Street Fighter than just than what it is at the moment. So that that would have been quite cool. But unfortunately it only came out in these weird consoles that I don't really have any experience emulating with, so I didn't really have the yeah. time to, to get that working. But I just, I just say, like, is you know, maybe the Amiga one is is a good one to go for. That's the one that people seem to like in, in terms of the graphics. Maybe pulls you in a bit more. Aye. Yeah, I don't know much about the the the, um, the more modern versions. That's maybe one for the the, the listener to to research into. But I mean, there must be there must be something to it that I'm not seeing, unfortunately. The one that came out for PS2 and Xbox and that goes, Robin Hood's in this. I think we forgot to point out, you can use Robin Hood as sort of like a power-up. If you go to Sherwood Forest, before you're due to fight an enemy in the battle, Robin Hood and the Merry Men, as the text box will point out, sneak into their camp and slit a load of their throats during the night. It literally says that. Did you use Robin Hood at any point? I did, I. Um, but I didn't really <laughs> use him to my advantage because, like, even even when he did that, the, the enemy force was so overwhelming that it, they, they still won, even though half of their thoughts had been slit. But again, if I'd known a bit more about the um, how how many soldiers are, are in each map screen, Aye. then I might have I might have 
being able to use that to turn the tide a bit better. But in some of the remakes, they go further and they make Robin Hood uh, the main character. But aye, anyway, as you can as you can probably hear from his chatting about it, this game is maybe not a recommendation, but it's interesting in it. But it's something to talk about. Aye, it's more of a like mere good ideas and kind of innovations, but you know, then quite when quite refined to the point that makes it enjoyable to revisit. But I, I respect it definitely for what it did. And Cinemaware is is, is one of those kind of unsung developers I would say I think they probably got did a lot of stuff that you know was innovative long into the future that maybe it wasn't quite you didn't quite see so much um, back in the 80s No do you think this game would have been better if you had the same setup, the exact same weird kind of board game mappy type thing but it was the Scottish Wars of Independence <laughs> and you played as Robert the Bruce or the Black Douglas or John Balio or whatever Yeah was, I've actually yeah. got this in my notes <laughs> 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 just that that would have just made it infinitely more, more appealing to me but that's what that was all about as well you know kind of band of pluggy underdogs um, overwhelming numbers got to use your guile to defeat them I, after seeing Outlaw King I just kind of wanted a game of that aye there you go then and that proves that we're no anglophobic definitively because there was hardly any anti-English jokes there Andy you want to throw in a couple at the end for good measure <laughs> uh, English slaughtered the English enough man but uh, <laughs> to be honest see since um, we overtook them in the Nations League now we're a, a Division A side and them bastards are a Division B side you can't bust their chops too much man it's you know I don't really like kicking people when they're doing inferior aye. things you know aye. you've well, suddenly became you know? a rugby fan just out of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> fuck them um, but I fuck I I don't even really see them as our rivals anymore. You know, we've got bigger fish exactly. to fry. Um, yeah, Germany. Germany, Germany, the Netherlands, and or what is it? Germans always say that, oh, England are new rivals, it's the Netherlands or whatever. We need to start doing I that. Know. I mean, uh, when you're a big boy in a big pond and a big, a big table, you know, you don't really get time to worry about English bastards and shit, you know? Minnows. Aye, the minnows. <laughs> um, right. Well, that brings us on to our next game of the evening. Which is kind of a strategy game in a way, but uh, I'll leave it. I'll leave it to Andy to tell you a wee bit about this. Andy, why did you pick Worms World Party for the Game Boy Advance for myself? I was listening to two podcasts ago when you and McCormick took the reins, and you were discussing um, Worms for a wee bit, and I think it was yourself that mentioned we hadn't had a Worms game yet, and I always um, was under the impression that you guys have played all the Worms games the same as me. Um, Burnham's Armageddon, I know, that we always talk about that and how good that was. You know, the, the CD quality sound and the, the perfection of the, the Worms gameplay formula was brilliant. Aye. Um, I thought, right, what can I do to get Worms on the show? I wouldn't have to go after a pure obscure Worms title, one that, um, you know, sort of gets overlooked or isn't really that popular, or one for simply never had the system for. So I thought, Right, let's have a wee look and see what we can do here. So I looked at handheld worms. I found one on a GBA and I thought, right, here we go, man. I'll give him this one because it gets worms on the podcast. So Handheld worms, that's giving me the creeps, that notion. Worm, <laughs> a pile of worms in your hand. Aye, worms world tour for the GBA. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling the worst, to be honest, but... I thought to myself, how bad can worms actually be? Even if it's kind of most simple, worms is usually all right, so, aye. Well, do you know, I'll put your mind at ease right away, right? That's exactly what this is. All right. <laughs> um, 
it's it's definitely not a bad game. It's nowhere near Brussels Sprout territory. Um, a good way to spend 10 minutes while you're on a bus or doing a shite or something like that. Because we, we looked at Crash XS last year, right? And that was a scale-back version of a classic series on the GBA. And yet they found it a way to just almost like distilling it into some pure essence that just made it class. That's kind of know what we've got going on here. So you turn this on, right? And the first thing you're going to do is you can just press start and that says quick game. And that'll give you a two-on-two version of worms. So you've got... Well, well, hear me out here. So you've got your five worms. The enemy's got their five worms or whatever. And you play it for there. There is also a... Well, do we go into how worms actually plays. I think we should, man, because right? uh, I, I believe that not everybody's a, a worm fanatic and it's too good not to can I explain because it's fucking brilliant. So you have these little worms, right? And they tend to get dotted about on a map at random. You will have, let's take a two-on-two two for starters. You'll have your four or five worms and the enemy will have theirs. And basically you get shots each. So for your shot, you'll get I don't know, 40 seconds or something like that, to control one of your worms where you can move, jump, and pick from a variety of different weapons. And basically what you're wanting to be doing is attacking the opponent's worms. Basically, you win the game by either killing all their worms or then by killing all your worms. So it's a sort of mixture of strategy and skill. There is definitely a knack to... For the most part, you're going to be using your bazooka. That's that's the default weapon, and that's what you've got the most sort of... Well, you get infinite ammo for it. And there's definitely a knack to firing that, because you need to deal with... I believe from Worms 2 onwards, you need to deal with wind resistance is quite a big factor. In fact, it might even be in the first one. Aye, it's like a... Gravity affects these things, and you can also, like, yeah. the longer you hold in the, the shoot button, the kind of further it travels. So the, the knack is, like, how powerful do I want this shot? How do I angle it so that it just kind of arcs yeah. down and hits where you want to hit? And it's funnier, kind of... It's funnier when you're not that good at it sometimes because it can, like, backfire catastrophically on you. It's, it's not yeah. a million miles away for a golf game. Like, you've got to judge your um, input against the gravity. And, and once you work out... Oop, the gravity of the level, which is a constant across all the levels, I think, then you become more accurate. So you shoot things up at air and you're sort of trying to make like an arch, essentially. Well, it comes from a much, much older game, which the, the name of which escapes me. But um, yeah, it was a, 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 a game for the old eye or something like that. It had a similar concept that Worms expanded. Aye. Like. An arcade game or something. So you've, got, you've got a wee bit of decision making there because obviously, depending on who you're trying to hit, the bazooka might not be. The thing you want, you might want to launch a grenade instead, you know, lobbing that kind of upwards in an arc and trying to get it stuck in between maybe two or three enemy worms and it explodes and you do loads of damage. So yeah, that's the basics of your, your kind of worms game. A lot of the fun back in the day for me was I liked the name editor. You could go in and make your own sort of wee custom teams, like Sensible Soccer or something oh, like that, you know. That, eh? go, in, go in and put you and all your pals' names in it. This, unfortunately, doesn't have that. You're forced to choose from a handful of kind of stock teams. But again, it's a, it, was it was a GBA conversion, do you know what I mean? That 
be you're going to cut them some slack here. Uh, they also, unfortunately, only have the one generic voice, which is the the default voice, which is kind of just high pitched wee worm voice. You kind of give them the angry Scots and all of that. That's got and that's like one of the that's one of the things that keeps you entertained worms is like being able to customize it and Aye. yeah you, you never go the default voice what you even the even the baddies don't get the default voice when I'm playing it it's they're, they're always nah. scouse or fucking um, South African or something something random like that Australians not we're in it too then aye that, there was a few different voices again uh, Worms Armageddon for me would be the the optimal version and there was a few different voices in that. So, as well as, well as your kind of quick game, which just gives you a one-on-one -on -one with a computer team, you've got the option for deathmatch, but... So, so this will put you against... I think it's three other teams, but it's done in such a way that... Basically, it's just all the other teams versus you. They're mm. not also fighting each other. So you take a turn, and then one of the enemy teams takes a turn, and then you take a turn again. It's not like turn, 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 your turn, 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 which is how I sort of remember Worms working. Mm. Would that be right? Aye. So you get a turn, um, you can choose whatever worm you want. You've got a certain amount of steps you're allowed, so it's either time out or steps, and then it's the other, the other um, team's turn, aye. It just rotates, so you can just cause as much havoc as you can within, within those boundaries, essentially. And I believe you've got to unlock weapons as well, you don't get all your weapons from the start. Cert certain weapons you only get from pickups that are like drops from the sky. However, in most versions, you can go in and, you know, there's usually a map editor, and you can go in and mess about with loads of different features. You can make it so that you've got longer or shorter for turns. You can turn certain weapons on and off, blah, blah, blah don't get anything like that in this and un another unfortunate feature of this one is that in order to so you play a death match and basically it starts off really easy you get five worms and the other teams only get one each and in order to get better death matches you need to just play them continuously so every time you beat two it sort of bumps you up a level until it gives you a really hard version where you only get one worm and they all get like four or five. But the game did not have a save feature on it, which is kind of baffling. If you actually wanted to play some decent challenging death matches, you would have had to have just sat and grinded games of worms over and over <laughs> and over again. Particularly for a handheld console, that's mental. Yeah, th thankfully I had save states, so I, I didn't even need to do that every time I wanted to dip in and play one. But I not not fucking great. So as I say, it's it's giving you a bare minimum hit of worms. Do you know what I mean? You really miss a lot of these kind of modern touches to it. There's a wee bits a wee bits kind of jank in there as well. I, I don't want to nitpick too much, but something about the hitboxes just only quite right. Sometimes you'll have a missile like that'll fly straight through a worm. Uh, the fire damage effect doesn't seem to work. Uh, Cluster bombs don't really work very well. A lot of the melee weapons don't either. And um, the other big thing in this is that the AI is... Well, do you know, I think this is maybe a universal for worms. If you're playing with just the generic AI, it's like, on any given turn, you can flip a coin and either it's a genius or a complete fucking buffoon. <laughs> like, 
the computer will either spend 20 seconds thinking and then walk into a mine, or it will, like, fire a fucking bazooka shot over its shoulder through the eye of a needle, <laughs> fucking get you with a direct hit. But I, I kind of don't mind the AI being a bit wonky. That kind of, that's a bit charming, at least. You still get the air raid. That was my favourite. Like, well, I was going to ask, like, because it was always the, the thing that excited me most about getting a new Worms game, is like, what new weapons have I got to play with? Like, do you have quite a wide selection, or is it quite cut back on this? And in the air raid, yeah, do you get the air raid, as Andy was saying? You get an airstrike. You can only use that once the match has been going on for a certain length of time. You can't just go for an air raid for kickoff. Same with a homing missile. If you've been playing for maybe 10 turns, the game kind of goes, right, you can have an air raid if that'll speed things up type thing. You get sheeps, skunks, you can pick up the holy hand grenade. Nice. Yeah, there's a, there's a few of your classics in there. My favourite worms weapon... Uh, well, I've got two... One of them would be the baseball bat. See if somebody is kind of <laughs> near a cliff edge, just full on whacking them into the sea. Uh, that's, one that's hit the kill. Fuck you weapon. That's the... <laughs> yes. What's your second favourite? My other favourite would be the stick of dynamite. See if the the other team hasn't got their positioning right, and they've maybe got two or three worms clumped together. You can throw a stick of dynamite in there, or you don't throw the dynamite. Rather, you have to place it. And then kind of run away, jump, 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 so it doesn't get you. And you can fucking devastate an enemy team with a well-placed stick of dynamite. What would your What would your favourite Worms weapons be? I like, uh, again, I play these games, not just for uh, the gameplay, but I like the comedy aspect of these games. In uh, Worms Armageddon, there's a one where you can shoot an old woman at people who is wearing a suicide <laughs> belt, a suicide vest, and uh, you essentially just fire her like a cannon. I um, mean, she's got five seconds before she blows up. But you can blow her up before that. If, so what you want to do is you want to fire the woman at um, a sort of kind of densely populated part of the map. Aye. And uh, my second favourite is, I like the prod now. The prod is, it's not, it's not devastating. It doesn't take that much HP or anything. It's a melee attack, very close range. But there's nothing better than if you're the Scots and you're fighting in the English... <laughs> um, you know, and you're on the last worm it's you against him, and he's on his last life. He's only got two hit points left, and you just got and prod him to win a match. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> That's like needs even more skill than the baseball bat because it, it only makes them move a little bit. But if it's just one pixel between them and the edge of a cliff, then you can just prod them off. And be like <laughs> you, I was like the super sheep. So that's like the sheep is like kind of um, if you throw that, it bounces along for a wee bit and then blows up after a timer but you got a super sheep you send that and then press another button and it gets a cape and then it flies up in there and then you have to kind of manually guide it towards your target but aye. it moves really quickly and if, aye, if aye, there's aye. someday a really awkward bit if you do manage to kind of navigate um, and manage to hit them with the thing which is difficult then you feel like a bit of a star there's a thing as well that um, when I was playing Worms Armageddon this was um kind of around the time when the internet and game FAQs and forums was coming out and there was apparently like a kind of a divide in the, the Worms fan base between folk that call themselves dark and light side players and the light side players would be all about <laughs> like executing like quite um, difficult moves with your bazooka and stuff like that or like really intricate moves with a grappling hook and stuff and dark side players were the ones that are quite jammy and they would use a lot of the digging, digging a wee hole um the the girders and stuff like that, like just pure like building a wee base 
and then firing oh. airstrikes on everyone else and just kind of like be playing really cowardly. But also that was kind of quite a fun way to play. And it, it does like really annoy people that you're playing against. We've just gave me a realization then that I'm a dark side player <laughs> because I was I was doing save states and sort of playing through until I got to the really difficult versions of the death matches, which as I say will give you one worm and give all the other teams four. And I figured out the way to do them basically is to get the blowtorch out, dig sort of diagonally into a, a, a mountainside type thing, then have a wee hole that you would retreat into, then come out and fire bazooka shots and grenades at people yeah, and then run away again. Dark side. That's Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> There's also um, devastating weapons and, and worms. I was going to say muscles there. Um, an interesting game. Um, <laughs> There's the air raid, right, which we're talking about. There's napalm, right, which is that... It's like an air raid, but your worm stays on fire a wee bit. Ah, it, dra- it drops fire for the sky, aye. That, that was one of the things I didn't like about this version, is that the napalm doesn't work. Ah, right, aye. Oh, right, so you mentioned the cluster bomb didn't work either, so the bouncing physics maybe were a bit mm. janky. Ah, yes, yes, I suppose um, that would be pretty shit, man, because a lot of muscles... I want to say that again. A lot, a lot of stuff in worms <laughs> are really dependent on it. You just go these wee shellfish, just fucking hoppling <laughs> about a map, firing rockets each other. It relies a lot on its gravity in worms games, and if, if you're bouncing if weapons, like your cluster bombs not on the weapon properly, I guess that could be a problem. Um, you can also get a nuclear bomb now. I remember being dead excited because... For some weird fucking reason, I've had this pure period where I was fascinated by nuclear bombs. But the one in Worms Armageddon is fucking shite, man. It doesn't even make any sense. All it does is make the water level rise. It would a nuclear day the opposite and vaporise water. I don't it know. also makes everyone sick. Ah, right. They'd, well, obviously be, they'd obviously be watching threads at Team 17. They didn't <laughs> want to like glamorise nuclear war. They just wanted to show the pure horrible side effects of the fallout and that. Aye, uh, well, I suppose that's, that's, that's true. You also get the uh, Armageddon, which is uh, obviously the, the fucking big chick-zulip meteor hitting the, the tap and kills everything on the surface. But you can survive it if you're enough in the terrain to avoid its, uh, its influence. There's a few jokey ones as well, like the minigun, which just gives you a wee tiny gun that does fuck all. You think you're going to get one of those big fucking real guns, but no. <laughs> this the one where um, you put a kung fu band on your head, like Karate Kid. The dragon punch. Dragon punch. I like, I like a dragon punch, to be fair. I enjoy that, enjoy that. See, see, to be honest with this, right, see if it's the early 2000s and you were a big fan of worms and you want a wee version of worms you can play in the bus or something like that, this is grand. Like, everything you remember about worms is still there. You've got your turn-based chaos, charming wee characters, blowing each other up with bazookas and stuff, collecting secret weapons, you know, you might get the holy hand grenade, blah, blah, blah. It's just no a perfect version, and a few of the wee things that you you like and you remember about Worms are absent for it. I would say there's basically no much reason to get a Romeo on your phone or anything now, even because there are pretty good versions of Worms on Android and iOS. Like, Worms for phone with touchscreen controls actually works pretty fucking good. Like, a, a few of these games are great, so it kind of just makes the GBA worms look uh, worse by comparison. Was this just a port of the first or second one? Did they just take the source code and say, right, just make something more akin to the original Mega Drive version? Was it a third party that did it? It was a scaled-back version of 
Worms World Party, which I think was the fourth Worm, Worms game. Aye, Worms World Party was very similar to Armageddon. I remember being quite disappointed when I got it because I was like, this is pretty much the same as Armageddon. But where that one really shone was that when you did custom matches, you had access to, like, you could change all the rules, you could set up a match like, exactly how you liked it with all different choose all weapons you wanted and like, all different weird specifications and handicaps and stuff. So that was quite cool. But, I mean, it appears that the, the entire point of that was missed a wee bit of the GPA because you can't do any of that stuff. No, I, again, it's it was a way to play a quick game of Worms if you were on a, a long car journey or something, do you know what I mean? Which is... Kind of really hate on it for that, particularly particularly if it was a budget title. Do you know what I mean? I'm not I'm not sure if it was. It's funny, but... it's funny you say that, my comment, because see, Worms Armageddon, Worms Armageddon was Team 17's. Um, it was meant to be Team 17's last oh, really? 2D game before they moved into like, the 3D incarnation. Because it was uh, games like Sheep and that came out at the time, and Hogs of War that were sort of the same thing, but in 3D. And uh, but. Um, Sega approached Team 17 and uh, asked them to make an online version of Worms Armageddon for Dreamcast. That ended up being Worms World Party, so that's why ah, it's so similar. So the online was the, ah. was, was the thing then, right? Ah. Well, I mean, I'll say this for it, it's still better than Worms 3D. That's a fucking abomination. I, I never liked Worms 3D. What's your favourite 3D <laughs> uh, Worms-esque game then? Because Worms 3D isn't it. I, I think I had a demo of Hogs of War that I quite liked, but I don't know if it holds up very well. I like Hogs of War. I think I might have played a bit of Sheep. Um, and, yeah, if, I, if I'm being honest, it would have been time better spent playing Worms Armageddon. I think just that very specific type of wee niche, skillful kind of turn-based battle game works better on the 2D frame. I, I think... I think Worms Armageddon is the, the zenith of Worms, I think. I, I don't know if that's a consensus we've all got, but I feel like that's that's the best one. Yeah, moving back and forth as Worms, moving into a screen just kind of made it a bit, a, a bit shite, man. When it, it was kind of like Toe Jam and Herald a wee bit where it wasn't, a, it wasn't Worms, man. It was something else, wasn't it? It just becomes a lot more complicated trying to deal with the gravity and the physics and that. It's not really fun mm. anymore. And you're having to use a wee mini-map and all that. Nah, bollocks, man. You know what I mean? I have one final question, um, and then I'll okay. let's move on. Does this game have local multiplayer? Can you pass your Game Boy Advance around and play against uh, somebody in the car with you? Yes. Right, perfect. That's I mean, that would have been pretty good. That would have been good. But again, get on your I phone. Can, uh, we're going to uh, do into Scarborough or Land. I'm sure if you and Aero both had this game with GBAs, I'm sure it would have passed the time, you know? Well, you don't, don't even need both. With GBAs, it, as as Mick was saying there, you could have passed the one GBA oh, between right between the loadies, aye. Well, there you go. So, a, a, do you know what a cheap two player experience? You know, if you maybe only had one Game Boy between you, this could this could maybe bridge the gap there. You don't need that fucking <laughs> sort ridiculous of. link cable that you need to play uh, Four Swords on. Aye, beautiful man. I also had a port exactly the same as GBA. On the Nokia Engage, and the, this is a, a console. You've got a habit of sneaking Nokia Engage games into this. You know what? I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to bring an Engage game onto the podcast. <laughs> oh right? no! You'll be fucking playing it. Then. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's actually pretty good, pretty some good ports on the Engage. Well, anyway, I think um, the the essence of Worms is here. Do you know, it, it falls into that sort of niche for only the very best games where like Street Fighter 2 or something a novice can stick it on and have fun with it 
and also you can get really intricate, in-depth gameplay if you've got two masters playing against each other. So aye, Worms is pretty good, and this is an alright version, but as I say, you're better serviced by a modern mobile port. But yeah, there we go. There's your, there's your Worms GBA, Andy. Aye, good shit. And uh, we must, oh, I think I speak for us all here, and we say Worms is one of them games that we, we can all get behind. Um, maybe we should have like, a big fucking Worms Armageddon game one, they get pushed, Chinese and or something, and just have a laugh. I remember doing that um, at Pals Houses. I think there might have been a version of Armageddon on the Xbox Live Arcade or whatever it was called at the time. Um, I remember playing it on somebody's 360 or something like that. Just shots each passing a controller about with a load of cans or you know, people passing joints about or something, and it was a great laugh, man. There's a, there's a new Worms out for the, for the Xbox. I downloaded it. I was quite disappointed. It's been... Been fortnighted. It's been a. Uh, you don't pay for it, so it's free now. So a free a free game sounds great, doesn't it? But you need all the weapons and that. You've got to pay for all the shit. And aye, you can pay. You can pay an extra three ninety nine for the cluster bomb pack that also lets your worm dab and put on a funny hat and shit like that. Yeah, I don't mind. Fuck I don't noise. mind it when it's just like a cosmetic thing. But when it, when they're starting to charge for like. Worms weapons, you know, but you can't. Pay one, isn't it? Ah, it's pish, man. I'd rather just pay 40 quid and then you've got it, you know what I mean? Aye. I'm an old fucking, I'm an old fogey at this point, you know? Aye. Me too. But anyway, that brings us on to our final game of the night, which is. We've got someone a wee bit unusual for just you. A wee bit. Um, what, what is the full title of this game? Evo the Search for Eden? Evo the Search for, for Eden. E dot V dot O. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those abbreviations that doesn't stand for anything. But this, the search for... Eden. I thought it was the search right. for Earth. I don't know why. That's, um, that, is that not a Star Trek? <laughs> I mean, be back to, I don't know, back why, to I, Earth. I don't know why it's a search for Eden, because it's one of the most nihilistic games I've ever played in my life. <laughs> well, anyway, McCormick, why did you pick Evo, the search for Eden, for Mr. MacArthur? I, so this was, uh, I mean, quite obviously not a game that... I owned or anyone I knew owned. It's a pretty obscure one, but in my very early kind of discovery of emulators and playing about all your your old Squaresoft games, I dabbled a wee bit with uh, Enix's stuff as well. Um, They had quite some innovative stuff. We've covered like um, Actraiser on the show before. They had a period where they were releasing stuff that maybe wasn't like mega popular, but it had had a bit of a cult following. It's quite innovative. And one of these games was um, this Evo, The Search for Eden. And I definitely played um, quite a wee bit of it. It was quite an intriguing, wee sort of like platformer RPG hybrid sort of thing. It was about evolution, um, and you, you kind of evolve your your wee creature. It was quite an interesting subject, and I just thought um, Andy, who's I've been mean, giving Andy stuff that maybe outside of the kind of traditional platformer stuff that I would have traditionally given Andy, and um, something that's maybe a bit more left field. This being one of them, so intrigued is what he, what you might think about it. This is right up my street, man. Uh... One of my favourite things about computer games is I like uh, something a bit different. There's a lot of same shit on, especially in the 16 bit consoles. Aye. The games all play similar. Um, there's a certain formula, and the developers just follow that formula, and you get better examples of that formula, and you get poor examples of that formula. This is completely different, man. This is a, it's a 2D RPG that I couldn't even call a platformer because. I suppose you could. It's sort of like um, 
What do you can I explain this? It's uh start for eighty six million year ago or <laughs> whenever this game started. <laughs> Aye, so so you're an amoeba in the ocean. <laughs> it's a side scroller, right? Yeah, it's I'm going to call it a platformer right away because there's underwater most there's a good part of the game that's underwater. It's a it's a side scrolling RPG. Most of the gameplay takes on a, an RPG for rather than a just a regular platformer. It's, it's made up of stages as well, so it serves as sort of hunting grounds um, to like, kill enemies and level up and build points to get new abilities and stuff. Before I talk about um, what it actually is and how the game actually plays, I'm going to talk about the, the world building in the game and the story and what it actually is. This game takes place over billions of years before man existed. The game is essentially a lead-up to when man first appeared. You can imagine David Attenborough narrating it. He could be, aye. It's the story yeah, of evolution. It starts with a kind of very melancholic scene of the sun talking to the earth, with a third party involved as well. And they're talking about how the sun only wants one planet to have life, and that's the Earth, but in order to get this um, sort of gift of life, the Earth must go through a certain tribulation and overcome um, those obstacles to become like, a perfect kind of being. They consider that uh, humans to be the... I don't agree with this, by the way, but humans to be like, the final <laughs> perfection of life. And I, I, I mean, I don't... I, I see a lot of animals that are, I think are a lot more beautiful and relevant than us, but uh, that's what the game sort of talks about. The trial doesn't quite go as planned, though, because there's a third party called Evo who tries to get involved in the evolutionary processes. And um comes very central to the story as it turns into a, a showdown between your creature and um, a trove of super beings that have been augmented by this evil influence. It, it kind of uses like, loosely Darwin's theory of evolution um, in the biblical Garden of Eden, it's plot devices. <laughs> it's explained to you via the medium of a green-haired anime woman in space. <laughs> aye, aye. But um, the thing is, the reason why I mentioned that this is a very nihilistic game, because it seems that... I mean, I'm looking at the complexities of evolution over the last 4.6 billion years on planet Earth, right? I'm looking at the epochs, the dinosaurs, the Jurassic period before that through all the different ice ages to can we've only been on for a wee tiny speck a speck a speck and the the epochs of of geology and all that. But this game seems to imply that the only way that evolution happens is by eating things. <laughs> this is interesting. I'm glad you kinda of brought this up because I was thinking that playing the game as well. So the the main mechanic of this game really um, to sum up is that you you play as a little creature you eat mere creatures and you get evolution points and you can use those points to upgrade yourself into a more powerful creature faster stronger etc. And this game ostensibly is about the process of evolution, but in making a game about evolution, they've actually made a game about intelligent design because. It's completely like self-directed. Like as the creature, you you get to decide what traits you want in that, rather than like you know the the process of like hey, having having babies and then there's mutation, there's natural selection, the like. It's purely like intelligently directed. In the story as well, kind of like seems to say that you know evolution wasn't a natural process. It's controlled by these gods by and the there's, there's, there's good there's good gods and evil gods directing evolution on Earth. Like at the end of 
each stage it's, it's like there's a boss and it's kind of saying it's saying things like us plants we want to produce oxygen so that we can um, give oxygenate the atmosphere and then eventually fish will go out of the water and become land dwelling creatures but there's a baddie, there's a bad shark eating us all, stopping it. So you've got to like, intervene and, and make the next stage of evolution happen. That was very weird. That's the thing though, right? Um, right? This game, I'm going to talk I'm going to talk about like, how the game actually works, right? So there's five chapters, right? Starting from the world before land, so that we see essentially. And it goes from there to early creatures of land, so you go on amphibian at this point. Yep. Um, and with... And then after that, you get the age of the dinosaurs. You start off as a very simple dinosaur and sort of evolve through that. And then finally, you get uh, the Ice Age. Sorry, no. Sorry, you get the Ice Age before that, where you become a sort of wee hairy mammal. And after that, you become early man, a caveman. But on this um, journey towards being a caveman, the apparently perfect being, um, <laughs> you have to eat your way through every level gameplay device is there's two encounters on your screen at any one time you've got your hit points which is your life every time you get hot you maybe lost five or six depending on the strength of the enemy a boss might take seven or eight off you or your uh, defensive stats as well if you build your your thing with like exactly. armor on aye, it i think you aye. can get like a shell and things aye. like that and in order to get that kind of extra protection you get this thing called evil points and evil points builds up so i think you start off with like 100 and then um, if you build up these evil points every time you eat something so you kill something and eat it and when you build up these evil points you can build them up to enter a sort of wee shop in your settings which allows you to maybe improve the wee guy so when you're a wee fish you can improve your jaws to make your bite stronger. You can make your body as the armor. You can have a better body. Improve your tail to go faster. Even there's wee intricate things like your dorsal fin and all that. I don't know what I actually did. I think that made you go up and down faster or something. I found myself picking a lot of things for cosmetic reasons <laughs> um, rather than the start boosts. I was like, I, I quite fancy having a horn. That was one of my favourite things. A lot of them gave you better health, but I would, I would often like just like. When you got a dinosaur and you've seen Triceratops horns, I'm like, I'm having that. I don't care if it's useful or not, like, I'm getting those. <laughs> See, that was one of my favourite things about this game. Um, sometimes in RPGs, when you buy a new hang, you're like, oh man, the sword of a thousand truths. But it just looks like the, the wooden sword, you know? <laughs> in this game, you can actually see it on screen. It's quite impressive. It. Like, I'm not 100% sure how it works, but like, all the, they must have like, all different sprites that are kind of interlocking with each other because you can customise your guy quite a lot. It reminds me of Bethesda game where if you get something that's going to appear on your wee guy or uh, like Knights of the Old Republic where it doesn't matter if it's something stupid like big stupid goggles or something you're going to see it on them. Like, it's not just implied that you have them on that's going to affect your character's abilities. You actually see a cosmetic version of it. Like see, that. when you get to the final epoch and you've got, um, you're playing as early man, you're like a caveman, you've got the Flintstones era things can you still go into the evolution menu and say, I think humans should have spikes, uh, or I think they'd be better with longer legs, <laughs> or you can't upgrade for that point on? Also not. No, apparently humans are the oh. perfect um, representation <laughs> of life, which again is a lot of shite. But there's um, evolution pathways, man. So do you remember, in, obviously he's dead, but Mega Man, right? There's um, a certain path you can go through to make the game ten times easier. 
Aye, like kill chill penguin first and then kill storm eagle and, that, and so on. That, so it's the same philosophy here, right? Um, you're meant to do an evolution path, so you're meant to maybe do your jaws first, your body second, your tail, horn, back of your head. If you do these in the wrong order, you can make yourself slower, you make yourself um, more prone to attack, you can make yourself um, unable to like, move up or down. Aye, it says like in the... Um in the tutorial but it's like um, be careful because some of these things might it might help you in one way but disadvantage you in another way like if you make your body bigger you'll be you'll have more health but you might be slower so you have to in, at the later it gets the more you have to prioritise like what sort of creature do I want do I want to be fast and agile or do I want to hit hard um, do I want to slow and steady that sort of thing with di- the dinosaur um, so the, 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 the amphibian in particular like I made my guy pretty rapid and he could have a massive bound and jump but he didn't have a whole lot of health you get some options see I, I thought that right away that this goes against the, um, the theory of evolution because <laughs> evolution only happens for um, the benefit of something it doesn't necessarily happen to kind of hinder a species but then I look at things like Danny Longlegs and think Hold on, maybe it is, maybe it is a bit, a bit more accurate than what I thought. Maybe Danny Longlegs bought his wings before he, he should have bought his teeth or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they had, I, sorry, I didn't realise that we were on opposite sides of this civil war, because I would call it Daddy Longlegs. I'm Daddy as well. I don't know where this Danny comes from. <laughs> well, go, we'll go with Daddy Longlegs, right? We are doing a graphic podcast. Um, well, do you know that... Danny's better because it's not patriarchal. Anyway, sorry, but <laughs> in terms of evolution, that's the um, Danny Longlegs has got like a viable strategy. It's basically here for a good time and not a long time. It does it does this survive for long, but it survives for just long enough to have um, to have babies and then dies. So yeah, fair play to it. Aye, uh, the thing is, the Danny Longlegs. I don't think it had a Nintendo guidebook to guide its, uh, to guide its evolution because this game. Very rare game, by the way. Very, very rare game. Um, the last time I checked, I think it was like something like it's in the thousands of pounds, man. Um, yes. And uh, I do believe that it either had a very limited um, release or it didn't have a physical release at all. What was it? Was it again? It seems to be one of these things where if you if you look up the Super Famicom version of this, aka the Japanese one, it'll not be that dear. But for whatever reason, the Western release, and I believe it possibly only came out in the American America, territories. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know if Pal got it. The, the American version of it, I routinely run you for fucking thousands of pounds. I it must have been, as you say, there weren't many of them produced or something like that. I think so. I mean, I think if you only release something to the big three um, areas, then it shoots up in price, especially if it's something as interesting as this. With all the kind of um, philosophy and all that behind the game, and um, I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that bit there. Was this Japan and USA or Japan and Europe? Japan and USA. All oh, right, I was wondering if they didn't release it in the USA because all the Christian fundamentalists disagree with it. I'm surprised that never actually came up, by But um, I suppose there's no woman's tits. Daddy's on it. The enemies on the going to care of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I it, it's very interesting but right I've got some criticisms of this game as well now this is a fabulous attempt at creating something truly unique but fun and challenge fun for me a game has to be fun it has to be all, it has to have all this great kind of conceptual stuff and uh, ideas and quirkiness but it also has to be fun 
and it is fun, right? It's um, it's jump is on point, which if I've got a side scroll and platforming section of any game, the jump has to be on point. You know, it is. It's very good. It reminds me of a wee bit like Aladdin or something, or um, the Disney games, the Virgin Interactive games. Well, it's it's fine. It's uh, maybe a wee bit floaty, but it, I mean, it doesn't like, hinder you, and you're not going to land somewhere you don't want to land and stuff. So I enjoy that. Parts I didn't enjoy is the repetitiveness. Now it's so grindy. Like you'll be I, sitting eating like cockroaches for like a half an hour to get the next kind of thing you want to evolve to. The RPG elements in this game um, can be seen in just trying to grind Evo points to get your next. Um, the next upgrade to your next evolution. But as you say, man, if you get two and a half thousand Evo points, you need another three thousand to get like um, an, an extra like, fin or something. It's going to be an all night, man, eating jellyfish. Aye, they could, they could have cut that down, but like, you know, they could have made it a little one tenth of the amount that you need to get those stuff, and the game would be a lot better, I think. And the attacks aren't very interesting either. Um, not much in the way of weapons in this game. You either get a bite. Or if you're a human, you get a club, but it's all the same. You attack, and in a lot of 2D RPGs, I like this as well. Well, you just get one, you get an attack, and that's pretty much it. That's realism. You're not exactly going to be flinging fireballs and lightning bolts about you. <laughs> yeah. Look at it that way, I suppose. I but I'd, I'd like a wee like tail slap or something. You know what I mean? Something Aye, a wee bit extra variety. strength, or maybe like a Glasgow kiss or something. Or maybe like a story punch or whatever. <laughs> Aye, or you know, like the ability to. When you're spending your evolution points or something, I don't know. Turn your arms into swords and then you attack with them. I, do, do you know what I mean? Something like that. The roads that, like, the roads um, that evolution didn't go down in real life. <laughs> you may as well if you've got if evolution as intelligent design being put upon by a a Japanese anime goddess um, in space. <laughs> why not? Aye, I, 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 I do like how um, they sort of took like, biblical ideas. This is a Japanese game into Enix. Mm-hmm. Like that, they've kind of took us um, a Western idea, of Garden of Eden, and man being the perfect representation of life, but also like putting like huge intergalactic like, space alien third parties to get involved and all that. <laughs> you never really know what's going on. I mean, they mentioned that evil thing at the start that that's going to like jizz up the bullfoam of um, of uh, <laughs> other enemies. But um, it never really tells you like, why these enemies are, are all wanting to kill you. And you just seem like you are the kind of aggressive, kind of, you're the aggressive thing that wants to kill and eat everything essentially. So, how does that lead you to like, perfection? It sounds very colonial and very like, 1940 era Japan. I went on to YouTube and watched the ending cinematic for this because basically I try to have a wee go of this as well because it's. It's one of the ones that's that interesting. I think all three years is probably going to take a wee look at it. I found my playing experience a wee bit like, do you know when the Pucci episode of The Simpsons where Milhouse is like, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> um, I, I just wanted to be a dinosaur. So I gave up and I just watched the ending on YouTube. And um, as Andy was alluding to there, I think, uh, the Martians get involved. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Aye, that's right. They're on, the, they're on the moon at the end, aren't they? They, they apologise, they say, hi, we're the Martians, we we thought we knew best how to evolve mankind, but we'll take a hands-off approach for now on, or something like that. It's fucking bizarre. There's, a, there's also three choice sections, and I'm not sure how but how much they influence the game, but see the end of the dinosaur bit? I was nearly in tears, man. Like, 
Oh, does he meet her? Does he meet you or that? Aye, aye. She comes up, comes, and uh, essentially before it, before the meteor hits, yeah, once you beat the boss, I think there's a, a group of dinosaurs, and uh, they essentially, once you beat them, they go, ah, oh, you are the chosen one. Uh, would you like to come and rule the world with us? This is like the, the ability of dinosaurs. And you can choose yes or no. And when you choose no, they're all, they're all they're shocked and appalled. We are the, we're the greatest thing alive, and you're not going to get any better than us. Why would you not want to rule the world with us? Um, and if you choose no, they all get offended at you and, and then start charging at you, and you've got to just bite them to death. But then some asteroids well, come and kill I suppose them. that, that the, the asteroid makes everything a bit irrelevant there. Aye, if you choose yes, does it does it give you a different ending, or does it just put you on to the next bit? I tell you, man, it'd be worth going through and trying again. But um, Pixelob comes and uh, starts to kill everything, and you escape through a time gate that Gaia, the the anime woman, opens for you. So it's evolution, but Gaia's fucking helping you and giving you advantages and all that shit. It's it's, it's weird, man. <laughs> the whole thing that you that you know if, if you're ever watching. A, a documentary about evolution if you're reading some authors that kind of wrote about it they're like the, well, the amazing thing that evolution tells us is that we're like, in, intimately connected with all the other life forms on earth and that like we we evolved from from mere animals and we've kind of like now we get the guardianship over these animals and it's like this game's getting you the kind of the complete opposite the complete opposite <laughs> view which is like no you're special they're shite eat them aye there's some like dialogue in this game that's pretty deep as well like the yetis, when you fight the yetis, the yetis looking for his wee boy, you know, and when he finds his wee boy, his wee boy's run away because he knows that his species is never going to be able to beat, like, mammoths, you know, and it's weird, it's like, I don't know, it's like a realisation that he's never going to be able to fulfil his destiny. There's wee things like that, it's, it's weird, it's a weird wee game. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very it's very interesting, it's very interesting, but it's held back by um, elements that are repetitive, um, and you would really need to be up for like, really investing yourself to to get the most of it. I suppose it's a game you could say it's more than the sum of its parts. I think uh, the ambition sort of outweighs the scope, maybe. Like Aye. what they were able to do versus maybe what they saw themselves as doing. This was based on a... I don't think it was the PC engine, but it was like basically a whatever Japan's equivalent of like the Commodore and that was back in the day. This is a kind of remake of one of them. And I think this is a lot more innovative than that. But I I, I think they were sort of stuck with what they were able to do mm. to an extent. I think they were lacking in the tools, maybe. But it's a great looking game. Uh, the graphics are excellent. Um, I think the, the most impressive thing about the graphics is it utilises a lot of the SNES capabilities. Like... Uh, parallax scrolling, there's a real sense of depth in the levels. Like tell you're in the, the prehistoric era, you can tell you're in the the, the Iron Age. You can tell when you're in a, a space kind of setting and all that with all the sort of things going on and colours and it represents it very well. There's a there's a real feeling of depth in the levels is what I'm trying to say. I think we've mentioned ah. that citizen cane effect before. There's things happening. <laughs> As you like to call it, aye. Different speeds and different things happening, different sections of the screen that gave that impression of what's happening in the background. Really nice to look at. And then the sprite, the customisable sprite, um, 
guy where you can when you add something you see him getting better and better and better and there's all sorts of combinations you can have them as well but you don't have to as you said there's no set path of evolution you can add on like a big fin first and you'll actually see the big fin there even if it hinders you you're walking about with this big massive fin that's not ideal it's it's pretty cool customizable aspect bodies are interesting it's not just uh there is a lot of repetition in the, the baddies. You're going to be fighting a lot of jellyfish. But the bosses are interesting. They look quite good. They've got this kind of cartoony anime kind of look to them, which is quite interesting. And then you've got the big sprite bosses too. Last boss is a big transparent, big transparent kind of slimer-looking thing. Um, with the Ghostbusters, and that's pretty cool as well. I like that. So I, I thought the game looked beautiful for a SNES game. All the things you want to see in a SNES game utilised to the way they should be. The sound is where it's confusing, man. Because the sound at the start of the game is beautiful. But the music is excellent. You see, once you're past the, the first level, the water level, it plays the same tune over and over again, right up until about chapter four. When I was kind of grinding in the second, like, amphibian chapter, I had to turn the sound off because it was one song that was, like, so short and repetitive. It was absolutely damn annoying. I don't want to give a shout out to Koichi Sugiyama because he was a horrible Nazi cunt. Um, rest in pieces. Why <laughs> <laughs> God they maybe, can play guitar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not some of his best work in, in this game. He's a, that's the composer for Dragon Quest among other games. He's not a very nice man. She on this game, I. Yeah, he did. But I think what he did was he did the music for the, the that PC Engine game that um, Mick was talking about, or the PC Night. I'm looking this up on. Wikipedia, the PC-98, he did the music on that and then one of his students uh, adapted it for the SNES. Hey, there you go then. So it seems like he's stuck off, he's been dead excited about this big concept, but then he's actually seen the game and went, oh, for fuck's sake. Just phone it in. And then I just phone it in, because that is the same song for, like, see, like two-thirds of the game, he's just got this one song. Sorry to go on an aside, because we'll be wrapping up here, but I, Andy, Kuichi Sugiyama is kind of what you... Imagine Japanese people to be constantly with <laughs> when they omni, but he actually is like he's a war crimes denier and all of that. Like it says, comfort women didn't happen, and the the rape on Anjing and stuff, and all that stuff didn't happen. It's fine because so he's 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 one he's one worth looking up for you because I know you like these rabbit holes. And he made this game a lot worse too. Could have added something to this game by creating a decent because Enix are I mean Enix are well known for. I have beautiful soundtracks, man. But, uh, aye. Man, that's some places, but aye, that's, that's, that's pretty much my, my whack on this game. Now, this, this is uh, one of the most interesting games you gave me on there. I like it. I, I, I found that this, I'd, I'd love to see an Alter Beast game made in this fashion because uh, it's got all the same concepts as it. I mean, what is evolution but the altering of beasts? Exactly, and I think <laughs> an Alter Beast RPG. Good to see something like this. Make an Alter Beast RPG, I think it would be brilliant, aye, because Alter Beast is a lot more simple, it's like more arcade, and I think that there's, there's scope to build an Alter Beast game. So, what you're game. saying is this game needs more like homoerotic Greek heroes cutting about? Aye. aye. I would like it if all the evolution points you just use towards like building different like buff muscle men and like wee <laughs> pants. Different, different muscle groups and that you've got to work out. <laughs> aye, why not? Aye. aye. Why not, eh? We all loved it, man, we all loved it. But aye, that's pretty much it. So this is a 2D RPG by Enix, which is fucking just mental. I'm in crazy in scope. Takes place over billions of years. 
I'd recommend it, man. Um, if you want something completely different, and the vein of facade, us, um, other wee weird games you gave me on there. This is up there with those, and it could even make a play at the end of the year. Um, if well, it's early, it's early, but I like games. Like this. I really, I really did enjoy this one. Well, speaking of upcoming games, let's get our games dished out for next time. No. On our next episode, we are going to be joined by our fifth Beatle for the first time in a wee while. Aero is going to be coming on, my wee brother, and he is dishing out to Mr. McCormick the game Fahrenheit, which I believe in North America was called Indigo Prophecy by a French weirdo, Mr. David Cage. <laughs> um, so that, that'll that be an interesting I one. I've a bit of David Cage chat, the Mad Beast. McCormick, what have you got for myself? Um, so I've got the experimental pressing sci-fi point-click game um, for the 90s. Um, I have no mouth and I must scream. So get ready uh, to feel some powerful nihilism. <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully it's the computer game and no the short story. Having read the short story, um, I would have need to veto that because there are some themes in it that are just inappropriate for any discussion <laughs> but the the video game is, is toned down somewhat um, Mr MacArthur what have you got for Aero? Well uh, Liu Kang has won the second Mortal Kombat tournament in Earthrealm and unfortunately we've seen the death of Raiden at Mortal Kombat 2 tournament so Aero is going to be taking us to the third Mortal Kombat tournament and I'm going to be getting him Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 for the nice, Mega Drive nice one. this was always my favourite one this is when Outworld has invaded Earth, I believe, um, is the point in the kind of lore timeline. McCormick, I'm no surprised it's your favourite one. It's because this is the one where they made half the roster robots for some reason. Um, <laughs> robots, ninjas, <laughs> robot ninjas. As Lee Kang when he win a treble, you know. Well, wait and see. Uh, Michael Beale's not anyway. And uh, <laughs> the final, the final game for next time, uh, Andy. For yourself, seeing as we've just had our wee role-playing two-parter up, I am going to be giving you something that I would call a potential Golden Axe beater. Um, it is Dungeons & Dragons Shadow over Mystara. Though I don't know if anybody remembers the old Dungeons & Dragons side-scrolling, beating up, beat up. stand-up by arcade machine, fucking tremendous. I think you'll have a great time with it. But aye, we've got that for you next time as well. Looking forward to this one. Death Adder was one of my all-time favourites on this podcast. Looking forward to a similar experience. I'm sure it'll be good. There's a question that you need to answer in your review, and I'm not going to say it here, but we all we all know what it is. Is it or Aye. is it not? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So I'll hold it for next time in. I know what he's talking about. But yeah, right. How, how are we signing this out? But and this is something going forward. We need to find some kind of closer for this because I think with Shagged X has run its course um, I know I, I thought fuck you meant it's Nate Golden Axe didn't you he did <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could just end it there <laughs> see you later <laughs>